0: I've been living in recovery for eight years. I've been living in recovery for two years. For three years. 27 years. Addiction is a disease. You have the power to fight this. It's easier when you know the facts. The fact is addiction is a disease. The more you know, the more supportive and compassionate neighbor, friend, family member, Hoosier you
1: can be. Go to knowthefactsindiana.org to learn more about opioid and substance use disorders, treatment, and recovery. Hello, and welcome to the Inspire You Know the Facts panel. I'm gonna be your moderator and your host today, Tony DeMond, glad to be with you. And today we are going to talk about addiction, recovery, and community. How can we lift each other up? And joining me is the program director for uh, open treatment, and that opioid treatment program director, Mr. Tony Toombs. how are you, sir? I am fine, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here because this is a topic in our community that has to be talked about and talked about in a way that we understand that addiction is really an illness and it's something that people need to pay attention to. And so I just wanna say thank you for being a part of this panel and having this conversation and sharing your, your history, your expertise, and really, your desire to make sure everyone understands. Talk about what this program is all about.
0: Uh, Know the Facts is is a program where we are really, you know, I work for the state, as you said, uh, Division of Mental Health and Addiction. And what we're really trying to do is let people know that addiction is a disease. And uh, more importantly, um, in the African-American community, uh, it's even harder to stress that. Uh, to make get our point across and to get African Americans into treatment so we're not left out of the system. We're not falling through the cracks. So that's part of the campaign is to look at addiction uh, across the board, not just, you know, uh, what is normally looked at in the white population. We need to look at it for people of color.
1: When you talk about looking at it for people of color, um, it it our stigmas seem to be a little bit different than the general population. We have a tendency to look at each other in a way that um, unless you are in our community, you don't really understand the the verbiage, the language and that stigma. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about stigma, of course, um, there's your normal stigma in, in the white community to where, you know, uh, or academia community, what people really like to say, where you don't want to call or you want to be politically correct, uh, where you're using the correct language. You're not saying uh, an addict. You're saying a person with substance use disorder. But if you go into uh, a community with people of color, that's not going to fly. Um you can call you know just like when you talk about the n-word you don't there's one community you can use it and in the african-american community there's places where you do use it that's just the way it is with the stigma with addiction there's certain things like in a white community they don't want you to call a person a crackhead in a african-american community um, that could all you can call a person a crackhead you can call a the way a person is acting, you're acting like a crackhead. We use that word loosely to where it's not have the same meaning in the same populations.
1: Describe your role uh, uh, with the organization and what exactly you're doing so everyone, when they see you here, will know exactly what your responsibilities are.
0: I am um, the opioid treatment program manager. I oversee and regulate all the opiate treatment programs in the state of Indiana. Um, historically, uh, the state of Indiana has only had 13 OTP clinics, facilities. Um, since we started this, um, you know, we lifted the moratorium and we opened up five, which gave us 18. Uh, Then the legislation said we can open up nine more. So we have opened up a total of 22. We have a total of 22 clinics now, and we are slated to open up five more within the next couple of years. And these these facilities is, um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of controversy. They raise a lot of controversy. But we serve over 10,000 people a year
1: in these facilities. Really? Yes. That's amazing. Now I got to ask this question because 10,000 people in the facilities, are there enough facilities? Are there enough OTPs or do we need more? That's why we are trying to open more, because what we one of
0: the problems that we were having, we had people traveling two hours one way just to get to one of these facilities. So that was what helped us. uh, The legislation go back in and say that we could open up those five new ones. And what we've tried to do is we are strategically trying to place these OTP programs throughout the state of Indiana to where it will lessen the drive that the people have to go to. So, cause one of the most important things uh, about recovery is access to the treatment. So that was one of our biggest goals was to uh, make sure that every Hoosier in the state of Indiana, if they needed opioid treatment services, that it was within a one hour
1: drive. Talk a little bit about what it means to you to be asked to be a part of this campaign.
0: Um, you know, at first, I, you know, the job, you know, I loved my job. I loved doing my job. Um, but when I was asked to be part of I was kind of hesitant um, because, you know, I have a big family and I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to make sure they was okay with me putting this all out there. Because, you know, in the African-American community, yeah. we can be very private about our family matters. And it took, you know, a long time for me to be able to even talk about this openly in public, I didn't start talking about this openly in public until this campaign started. You know, I felt the shame and it was still hidden. Uh, I, you know, gave it up and this was my new life. I wasn't ready to bring this back into my new life. Um, But I was doing a group one day and someone just straight out asked me, have you ever been on drugs? And at that moment, I thought you could either lie or you could just tell the truth. And I just told the truth and now here I am telling everybody the story.
1: You know, and I wanna applaud you and salute you in that cause that's one of the things that you said it so well in our community, therapy of any sort or any help of any sort, the numbers are so low. We, we, we have that, don't tell nobody our stuff keep it inside the household, you been not. And so when you spoke about having a large family and and checking and making sure that it was okay, I mean, it's it's got to mean something to you to know that you've broadened your family of individuals with a sense of responsibility and respect by just taking that stance.
0: Yeah, and you know, my, like I said before, um, I had to go back and ask my family because during all this time, uh, it not only affected me, it affected my family. And, you know, when we talk about keeping it 100% real, that was the support that I received from my family. Whether they agreed with what I was doing or not, they kept it 100% real with me. When I was messing up, they didn't have a problem telling me that. You know, they supported me, they loved me, but they didn't have a problem telling me when I was doing wrong.
1: You know, Tony... That is half a battle when you've got a supportive family. Because we we do stigmatize one each one another so much and and the family wants to keep those secrets so that 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 speaks volumes to you. That's a wonderful family that that had to make you feel it had to make you feel like now I can do exactly what I was put here to do. Yeah,
0: and you know, I, I go back to what my one of my grandmothers, you know, bless her heart, she's always telling me when I was little I was going to be a preacher, and I used to t- think nah, nah, but I kind of kind of feel what she was meaning. I'm going to be out here talking, and I really didn't realize that uh, until I opened up and let it out. But like I said, if it wasn't for my family, I wouldn't be here now.
1: Well, we thank your family. We really do. We thank them for, <laughs> thank you. for giving that opportunity. Talk about some of these statistics, some of these things that are affecting this community, because it's really, really important for people to know um, how this is affecting our community across the board.
0: Well, I mean, you know, of course, again, like I said earlier, we have, you know, over served over 10,000 people in our in every year in our clinic, but when I first started uh, this, you know, I used to be asked by people, "Where are all the black people at? Where are all the black people at?" And I used to always tell them, you know, well, hey, really, if you look at this, this really wasn't our drug of choice, you know, um, in certain communities, in the African American community, our drug of choice was cocaine, marijuana, and alcohol. A um, little bit of acid and all that other stuff, but we wasn't really big on heroin. And now that this big old heroin epidemic has hit, I have actually seen more African-Americans in our OTP clinics now. So it's not just affecting the uh, Caucasian community. It is also affecting our African-American community. Uh, there's a big rise in our OTPs now in the African-Americans. So that is one of the things, that's why this this campaign is so important is that the state is not only looking at the heroin epidemic, it's looking at substance use disorders across the board. They mm-hmm. all are an addiction, regardless if it's crack, cocaine, um, alcohol. If you have an addiction to a substance abuse um addiction you have an addiction and there is recovery it's there's recovery there's there's hope um when we talk about like when i say in the thing um having the support for my family was half of it the other half was the treatment and i say that because when i was going through my addiction there wasn't treatment for the African-American community. If you didn't have insurance, uh, a wealthy family, you couldn't get into these places. So we have to make sure that access to addiction recovery services is open to everybody. And also that not only that, the, that there's treatment services, you know, we have access to it, that when we get there, there's people that look like us that are there.
1: And and that's so very important. I was just taking a look at some of the figures, the findings from that 2018 National Survey on Drug Use and Health include 6.9 percent of African-Americans have a substance use disorder compared to the rate of 7.4 percent among the total population. 3.4 percent of African-Americans have a illicit drug use disorder compared to a rate of 3 percent among uh, the total population, African-Americans are among are are more likely to use crack than any other ethnic group in the United States. And a recent study uh, indicates a much higher rate of lifetime crack cocaine and use among African-Americans at 4.6 percent compared to Caucasians at 3.7 percent and Hispanics at 2.3 percent. And uh, obviously the numbers like 6.9 percent don't sound like a lot, but anyone potentially suffering in the community uh is too much and so those statistics are statistics that are alarming it's 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 like um what's the saying when the general population has a cold we've got pneumonia and even in drug use or in in these situations it's the same kind of situation um what what's it like living in recovery because you've been in recovery now what 30 years
0: yeah and you know um And that's another way that I ended up here. Um, I used to have a spirit debate with a gentleman that was uh, an alcoholic, and he was 30 years in recovery. And he was real serious. He goes to meetings every day, every trip. I mean, when he goes out of town on his vacation, he went to meetings. And I used to tell him, Denny, I'm recovered. I'm not in recovery anymore. And that would get him to go and we would have a good conversation. He would ask me what I mean. And I would tell him, I said, well, for me, I had to tell myself that I was recovered. I could not keep telling myself that every day I wake up, I'm in recovery. So I had to tell myself, look, you are recovered. This is done. This is history. This is a part of your past. You need to move on. Now, even though I am still living in recovery, I actually had to tell myself to put it in my mind. So my mind would say this. You're done with this. I don't want to wake up every day having to worry about going back. So at some point I had to tell myself this is history. You need to move on. And just this is part of you. This is it. You know, and I look back now and I think, you know, I, 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 I made a, you know, I'm not a bad person. I just made a lot of bad choices mm-hmm. and I, and I feel that, you know, now um, it's part of my history and I need to move on. And it makes me who I am today.
1: You know, Tony, for you to say what you just said, because most folks know when they've heard once an addict, always an addict. And, and so, you know, to say that you're in recovery Uh, Most folks are told to say, well, I'm I'm constantly in recovery. But to you to speak your truth and say I'm recovered, that's a powerful statement because that's what it took for you to be where you are and do what you've been doing for 30 years. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't. And that's what I was trying to, you know, let Denny know I can't wake up every day stressing this. You know, thinking that because I can't think of anything that could happen to me in my life that would make me want to go back and pick up that crack pipe. You know, you know, I'm knocking wood and thank God that it it hasn't happened. But I don't see life that bad anymore. It, It will never get that bad for me, you know. And so I had to say that in order for
1: me to move on. Well, Know the Facts is a great campaign that we're trying to make sure that everyone understands that knowing this information is essential and this panel and this conversation is very, very important. As a matter of fact, what's very important is for us to take a small look at your story. So let's take a look at it now. Okay.
0: I never, never thought that I would be addicted to crack cocaine. And even though I used to tell myself that I didn't look like those people, I was just as addicted as they were. I had a friend who was a drug dealer, so being young, dumb, and stupid, we tried it, and before I even knew that I was addicted, I was addicted. I liked to dress. I had a favorite outfit that I used to love this outfit. One day I woke up and put that outfit on, and the pants fell off. They just slid off me with no belt or anything. And when I looked in the mirror, the first thing I thought to myself was, you were not raised this way. Your mother did not raise you to be an addict. Mm -hmm. So it was then that I knew that I needed help and that I needed to do something that my life had to change. But from what I had seen in the African-American community, so many people went to rehab and they come back out and they're doing the same thing. I just packed up all my clothes, all my belongings. If it wasn't for my family, I don't think I would have made it. When you have an addiction, you feel shame. You feel bad. You feel judged. You feel labeled. You feel like people are looking down upon you. People need to understand that this is a disease, and there's recovery, and there's treatment out there. So when you see somebody that has an addiction, what you need to do is just tell them, hey, I'm here for you. When you're ready, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, wear the crown. I'm lucky to be alive. Recovery is possible. There's hope, and hope means recovery
1: for everybody. so that's the campaign that we're talking about know the facts and tony toomer is here and tony that story i mean and just we we kind of talked about it a little bit at the beginning but you 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 mentioned in the uh video how important your family was and and how important their involvement and their support was and we may have some people that have just joined us can you kind of say that again in this particular situation i mean family and friends are really important to, to go through this process with, aren't they?
0: It is, and um, like I I always tell people, uh, my family has always been. I'm the youngest of six, so um, my brothers and sisters have always been very protective of me. I've always I feel you know now that I'm grown, I realize how sheltered I was and how much they really really um, watched over me, but. When I was even going through this period of smoking crack, I always tell people um, my family was still there. If I needed something to eat, they was, you know, they was there for me. I mean, they made sure I ate. They made sure that, you know, um, I I did what I was supposed to do. Um, They were on me. They kept it real. If you know, like I tell people, they they loved me. They supported me, but they never, never had one Ink of a problem to tell me when I was doing something wrong. They kept it straight up real with me, and uh, I I uh, respect that, um, and I love them for it. You know, it it was it's amazing. My family is just amazing. My brothers, my sisters, and now my nieces and nephews. We're just one big happy family, and we still look out for each other.
1: That that's and, and that is amazing, particularly in our community, because uh, you know we we. We see so many shows, we see so many movies that play into that narrative of you know keep them away from this and don't have them around that and and don't get it get involved. And we see so many sad stories uh, and hear so many sad stories where um, the illness of addiction uh, is not looked at as an illness, and society has not looked at it. Now that narrative has changed. It's kind of been that way and been that conversation in the white community for a long time, but it still took a while for it to become an illness or be uh, categorized as an illness in our community. So, so talk about that a little bit too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it back in the day it was called the crack wave. That's what we called it when it hit. When the crack wave hit in the little small town I was in, it, it, it I mean, I lived in a town where um, there were a lot of factory workers. You know, you had General Motors, Detroit Allison, Detroit Allison or whatever it was called. But there were several um, uh, factories there. So when the crack wave hit, I mean, there were people there with money. And so money breeds you know, drugs. So it was just a big wave. Uh, and that's what I was talking about. There was one place, Richmond Treatment Center for African Americans can go to. But you had to have... Um, good insurance. If you didn't have the insurance, you couldn't get in. And that was one of my issues is that when you did get there, there was nobody like you. Um, And then when you did get there, of course, you weren't going to do no crack because they've got you shut down for four months. They never gave you the skills or the resources to deal with that. You just went back into that same environment. You know, they always tell you you need to change your environment. But in the African-American community, we don't have second homes. We don't have vacation homes. We don't have rich relatives all over the world. So we can't you know, go just go to another environment. We have to go back into the same environment. So what we need to do is equip those people with the skills and resources that when you go back into that same environment, you can say no. Because you know, when I if you go to rehab and you get back, your cousin Pookie and Ray Ray, they sitting right there waiting on you, and they yeah. hey, come on. And if you don't have them skills to say no. You're right back into it. And like I was saying earlier, I it was like a revolving door. And I I said to my you got yourself into this, you need to get yourself out of this because that's not gonna do it. Mm -hmm. So that's when I say, you know, I literally, you know, because I do like the dress, the only thing I did was pack my clothes and I hit it. I left that town, went to another place and got myself together.
1: Well, I want to let folks know that uh, they can go to knowthefacts.org and get uh, information uh, and find out exactly what they need. So knowthefacts.org. Make sure you go and uh, check things out. Oh, and knowthefactsindiana.org is the location you want to go to and got that information, so thank you for that. Uh, let's talk about the barriers to recovery. What are some of the barriers to recovery? I know we, we talked about family, but what are some of the other barriers that may happen?
0: Well, as you know, um, treatment, you know, access to treatment, and getting—and when you do get to treatment, having people that look like us there. Because what I always tell people, um, you African Americans can tell when someone's blowing smoke at them. OK, I, you we know when you feel, you know, if you're in this for your job or you are in this really to help us. And most treatment services, when you get there, they look at you one way and you can see how they are looking at you. And that tells you how they feel about you. So you're not going to be forthcoming. If they don't get you in that one time, you're out of there and you're gone somewhere else. If you don't get the right service you need. And then again, the services are not tailored for us, just like I was saying earlier, they want, you know, some services are, you know, tailored for the white community, you know, it's not tailored for communities with people of color. It's not the same. What this person needs for treatment is not going to be the same as my needs for treatment.
1: Got you. And, 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 you know, that's interesting because so their needs, your needs, what determines that, Tony? What what makes what makes an individual need something a little bit different? Now, I, I know from from an African-American standpoint, there are there are ways of looking at things a little bit differently in that context. So could you expand a little bit more on what you just mentioned about their needs and your needs and the differences between the two?
0: Well, you know, um if you're in a white community, you've got great insurance and in, because what you see in those communities, you see those come into the services, their family get them in. They know somebody that knows somebody right. so they can slip right on into treatment uh, and they've got a whole family that, you know, a trust fund that, that watches over them. But in the African-American community, I might have this addiction. But I got housing issues. I got legal issues. I got lights, water, gas. I got a baby mama. I got three kids. Um, I got health issues. I have a lot of other issues that I need to work around and, you know, to get someone to help me with. And until I can work on the needs that's more important to me and my family, that addiction is just going to have to wait
1: got gotcha. you. Want to also remind people once again know the facts indiana.org is the location to go to. That's knowthefactsindiana.org go there. Also, if you're someone or you know someone who is in crisis, you can call 211 and press 3 or 6 uh, to be connected to a peer recovery expert and you can talk to someone who has uh, been where you've been and connect you to help. So, want to make sure folks know that once again that's 211 and press 3 or 6. And get connected to peer recovery experts. You know, Tony, as we talk uh, about the kinds of things that are going on in the community, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because we need to really be on the other side of the conversation from the criticism and from the stigmas, and now taking a look at it in our community differently. Um, I want to, from a black male standpoint, I got to I got to ask this question because, you know, we're we're supposed to be you know these virile, strong, hey, you're considered weak if you have anything like this going on. How do black men fight this stigma of this is something I didn't necessarily choose to do or I did choose to do it, but i I want it, I want and need help, and I'm not weak because of it. As a matter of fact, I'm stronger because I want to do that. What kind of message would you give to those individuals? Because it takes, it took courage for you to do what you did. It took courage for you to talk to your family. It took courage. It takes courage for anyone to take that step and make that move to recovery.
0: Well, and the first thing, you know, we have to do, we have to love ourselves. I mean, in order for you to love somebody else, you got to love yourself. Um, and, and, and next thing, you know, um, <laughs> it's you know i i want to i want to say you know after you you love yourself you got to be open you got to be honest with who you are and what you want i mean if you really want to make it out of an addiction and get yourself back together you've got to swallow that pride and just say hey you know i need help and and the most important thing that the system needs to do, when people, you have to get people when they're ready. When you have an active addiction, you go through these moments where you you have these, I'm done with and I need help. But if there's no place for you to go at that time, you're gonna slip back and fall. So, but as a black man, we are proud of who we are and we are supposed to be the providers of our family. If we don't beat this addiction, we will never be the the men that we need to be to take care of our families. So we have to swallow our pride at some time and say, I am not the person that I should be. So I need to step up as a man and be that person.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to let folks know also that uh, Know the Facts campaign was launched in 2017 and that since... The launch, 56,000 people have been treated at OTPs, opioid treatment programs. So that's amazing in such a short period of time. And for you to be the director, that's got to make you feel very, very special, knowing that the outreach is getting stronger, the information is getting broader, and now the African-American community is being treated differently because they should be.
0: And I and I'm going to be out there and I'm going to keep on marching in the African-American communities and communities of color because uh, that is what is so important to me. Like I said, when I started this, we didn't see very many African-Americans, but it is really this opioid. I mean, the crack wave was bad enough. This opioid epidemic is really ravishing our African-American community, just like the crack did. Uh, it's, it's not as quickly it's not as fastly, but it's steady growing on us. And I want to try to get a hold to that and let our African community community know um, there's recovery, there's treatment, and there's hope for
1: everybody. We're talking, of course, to Tony Toomer. He is the director of the Opioid Treatment program. Um, you know, let me ask this, in the past, um, I know you've been in recovery. or you've been recovered. I want to make sure I say it right. <laughs> hey, I'm not gonna take anything away from what you've done. So you've been recovered for 30 years. What about those pressures when you're in the process of those individuals? Uh, as you said, Pookie and those guys trying to influence you. How, how do you keep those individuals for those folks that are listening and watching? How do you get those individuals to understand, look, I'm not you anymore. I can't be you anymore. And and my life has to change. How do, how do you get them to understand that? What, what steps or what kind of ideas can you kind of pass on to those? Well,
0: you know, I actually, um, when I go back to that neighborhood where I grew up, I go to those same places and those same people that I used to hang out with, and I take them a different message. You know, I'm not here um, to tell you you're doing wrong. I'm not here to tell you you're more your failure. Um, What I am here to do to tell you is that I can help you. Um, Whenever you're ready, uh, let me know. And that's one of the things that we have to, that's what's different about us in our African-American community. Um, A lot of us want help. We just don't know where to go and how to get it. So I still try to go, um, you know, to the, the spots, the trap houses in the hood, in the neighborhood. And I have a new message, you know, because a lot of people know me now since I've been out. And so I have a new message, you know, I'm not here to tell you how wrong you is. I'm just here to let you know um, when you're ready, I have a route for you to get out of here.
1: That's good, man. That is so good. I mean, so I, I understand when you talked about grandma talking about it, you're gonna be preaching. <laughs> I got that. I, I see that now. I mean, because I mean you're going back into those places and you got a different message, and that's that's amazing. Um in your messaging, because part of the message is to that things can be different when they're ready, what about the community overall? Because we have a tendency in our community to not be empathetic, sympathetic, and We're not treating each other the way that we should. And now that we're talking about opioids, because, of course, crack and and cocaine and marijuana and all those things were. But now opioids are part of the process and the conversation. What, What do we need to do as an audience, as a community to be more human and be more empathetic in these situations? Well, we need to
0: educate ourselves for one thing. And we do need to be more open and we do need to be having these conversations. That's one of the things we need to do. We need to be at the table where people are making these decisions for people uh, so we can have our perspective heard and be known. Uh, What the community needs to do, um, we need to start having these conversations and being open and honest. You know, there's now that there's such a spotlight on this opiate epidemic, um, African Americans, we need to strike while it's hot. We need to make those changes that we can while everybody's talking about it. We need to make sure that we're not only at the table, that we're we're sharing in the meal. That's what we need to do. We want a piece of the pie.
1: You know, Tony, I want I want to ask this because. In that and, and want to remind everybody for more information and to get as much information as you possibly can, know the factsindiana.org and, and get that essential information that will help you do what Tony's talking about right now. And that's making the and having the empathy and the conversations and, and those kinds of things. But but when you take a look at at where we are as a community, um I sit here and I think about you know the other things that have gone on in our community, Tony, um, and how when it when it hits the the white community or the Caucasian community or the European community, however you want to label it, um, it's it's labeled as something better than it is, and these treatments are put in place. But then when it gets to us, it's labeled differently because we're looked at differently. And you said strike while it's hot. And it made me think of that. It made me think that we need to move on this right now as a community because the conversation is a broad conversation instead of singular. Is that is is that very important for us to understand?
0: Yes, it is, because that was my metaphor saying, you know, we're bringing the food to the table, but we're not sitting down and eating the food with the rest of the people. That needs to change. When I say that, the people that make these decisions, not all of them look at us and look like us, and they don't have our perspective and they don't have our experiences. And now that it's being talked about on such a big national level, this is the time for the African American community. To start having those conversations, to start being at the table, to start saying, "Hey, we're over here, and this is how this affects us. It doesn't affect us the same way that affects you over there. So we need different resources. We need different treatment. We need something different than the norm."
1: So how would how would it how would things have gone for you? What what help did you need? from folks in the community. I know you got it from your family, but what would have really helped in the community for you to to get the recovery?
0: If I was able to go and get some addiction treatment from somebody that looked like me that I could trust, because you know there's a big trust factor there also. So if you don't win me over with that trust factor, if there was somebody, if I had a place to go that, there was an African-American person over where it had been a male or a female that could have just had some understanding of where I came from and what I was really going through and what you know what I had to say would really listen to me and understand it um like my family did if I had some professional people like that that would have just been a beeline I wouldn't have had to go through everything that I went through I wouldn't have had to do it myself
1: okay and and you know I want to also uh, I want to also ask um, when it comes to that what advice do you have for engaging uh, with the addiction and recovery community because many many folks have a tendency not to know what to say um, they they don't know how to act in some instances um, and language I mean recovered recovery language sometimes what you speak is very impactful words have power so what kind of things can can we use what kind of things can we say that will help make that difference in those individuals
0: well when you go looking for treatment um and i always tell people this is your treatment one of the big problems with with treatment a lot of treatment providers is you always have a lot of people telling you what you need to be doing and you need to reverse that. You need to tell people what you need in order to get where you want to be. So as African Americans, we have to learn to articulate what our needs are, because when we don't do that effectively, we miss out on getting what we really need. So we need to come together and be able to articulate to the providers and to the treatment providers, to the addiction providers, what our needs really are because they
1: don't know. That, you know, Tony, and I, and I think about that, I wanna remind everybody, knowthefactsindiana.org, knowthefactsindiana.org is so very important for folks to go and make sure they get the information um, and and start, start there. And l- let me ask this too. I know we're talking about, because a lot of times when we talk about going to places and looking at websites and things like that, when we go to those places, we don't get involved. But it's really important for everybody in our community to go to knowthefactsindiana.org and find out more, because more and more family members, friends, associates are being um, affected by this. So this knowledge is something that would really help the entire community, isn't it?
0: Right. This website has a lot of information. I mean, it's really interactive. There's a section that talks about just know the facts. There's a section that talks just about stigma. There's a section that talks about gives you different stories from different perspectives. You see my story on there and you see the stories of other people. Then there's a resource section that gives you um, resources, material, that you can print out and you can use in your business, you can hand out to other people. And there's even a section where you can test your knowledge on what you know about opioid addiction. I mean, the information here is a, re- a wealth of resources. There's a section that talks about data that gives you a lot of, lot of data on, uh, what's, uh, on opioid addiction in the state of Indiana, on substance use, on the deaths, naloxone, hospital discharges. Uh, It talks about the initiatives that the state of Indiana is doing, the Next Level Recovery Indiana Plan. And it also lets you know how you can
1: get involved. So knowthefactsindiana.org is the location. If you know someone who uh, you know is in crisis, you can call 211 and press three or six to be connected to a peer recovery expert. Make sure you do that. Also talk to someone Who has been where you've been and connect uh to get help also want to let you know that uh you can send a virtual hug i like that you can send a virtual hug to someone that you know would appreciate it and and nowadays (laughs) because of what we deal with with COVID (laughs) and everything hey i'll take a hug anyway so a virtual hug is a great thing um but i just want to you know emphasize also the fact that uh, you can visit KnowTheFactsIndiana.org and follow at KnowTheFacts on Facebook or Instagram to be engaged with the conversation. You can also share your thoughts and learn more facts about substance use and disorder, and also the things that are going on in Indiana. You know, Tony, as we wind wind down, let me ask: if there was that one thing um, that you would say to individuals out there that are being affected, what would it be? and 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 what would you say to the family of those individuals because we're talking about changing the perspective the stigma and also being courageous and going through this fight i would
0: i, I would tell people never stop loving your family or a person with an addiction um, they really need help I mean, they're doing bad enough, and you might not be able to save them right then and there, but eventually there's going to come a time when they're going to need you. So just try to be there for them when they do need you.
1: Well, Tony, thank you very much, and thanks to uh, Know the Facts. Tony Toomer, the uh, Opioid Treatment Program Director, we appreciate you spending the time and giving us this vital information, and remember, go to KnowTheFactsIndiana.org for all the information that you need to know and give somebody that virtual hug because you know, we wanna stay safe. Tony, you are amazing. Thank you. Um, And I'm glad to hear that you 30 years in, 30 years recovered. (laughs) And so I wanna make sure everybody understands that that's the language that you use and that's a powerful statement. And thank you for being powerful and keep doing these amazing things. Thank you, thank you for having me here.
0: I've been living in recovery for eight years.
1: I've been living in recovery for
0: two years. For three years. 27 years. Addiction is a disease. You have the power to fight this. It's easier when you know the facts. The fact is addiction is a disease. The more you know, the more supportive and compassionate
1: neighbor, friend,
0: family member,
1: Hoosier you can be. Go to knowthefactsindiana.org to learn more about opioid and substance use disorders, treatment, and recovery.